You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. Got a great episode up for you this evening. This is what I've been talking about for a while, and it kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back for a variety of different reasons. We were uh, covering topics that were were big in the news we were covering different projects that were popular other things that were ended up becoming more pertinent along the way this particular topic was uh, a bigger piece of news a couple of months ago i did address it within the uh, connected universe portal on mike's morning mug i also uh, addressed it on social media of course it's a topic that is still always going to be in the news but other kind of lightning things came up along the way plus we were doing things like getting ready for the Egypt trip coming up. So let's not forget about that. Oh, I never mentioned what the topic was, did I? <laughs> How old is antiquity? We're going to get into the aging of a lot of these different ancient sites. So in one of those ancient sites, of course, uh, Egypt. So time is, is running out here. We're getting down to the wire uh, to register people for this trip. Stargates of Ancient Egypt, April 16th to 28th, 2024, this year now. So if you're looking to get on board, you're going to want to do that. Go to my website, MikeRickSucker.com, and hit the registration. Join us. There is still room, but really, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're not going to be able to, because we need to book hotels and, you know, arrange uh, all that sort of stuff. So see a lot of people are already filtering down into the chat. There's Jen. Hello, my love. Wonderful to see you. Tom McNicholas is in the house. Brandon Wallace is with us. There's Jack McCarthy, my former uh, co-worker there. Stacy Comiskey is here. Scarlett is with us as well. Sylvain is in the house. All right. Great. So, for those that are listening to the podcast version of this later, please, I encourage you to join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the live interactive version. You can pop right on here, get into the chat, ask your questions, connecteduniverseportal.com. There is a public live stream that's going on on YouTube. However, with the membership, you get the after show. And tonight's after show, I got a couple of special things uh, that I have cooked up for that pertaining to pertaining to the Sphinx. We're not getting to the Sphinx just yet, but we we will get there. And, uh, and Maeve is in the house as well. All right. All right. So uh, the other thing I want to throw out there is, uh, for those that are members, there is an app. So when you go to the community section, you have the secret library, you have the community area. For those that aren't familiar with what the secret library is, that's all of the material that is on the back end, just uploaded an entire massive unit on time travel. Now, if you want to forego the membership, and I understand that, some people don't want to get into subscription-based things, but I have as a standalone popped up the uh, or published the time travel course on its own still connectuniverseportal.com just go into the uh, the courses there and you'll find that as a standalone but those that are members that's a part of your membership so 
but you also on the community side get the app you load up the app on your phone you get all those wonderful notifications of when we're going live here when posts are made within the uh, community area when we have different challenges and and things like that that pop up so um get the app get noted your notifications and uh stay in stay in the know stay in the know all right so enough of all that let's go ahead and get into our material for this evening so we're going to start with and this was the piece of news that um that i spent some time addressing in the portal during the mike's morning mug i am going to show a clip of that morning mug in a little bit here but this has been the hotly debated hotly debated highly controversial location now Gunung padang so this is in indonesia it's in west java and it means mountain of illumination this is a place that people in the area have been going to for thousands of years uh it is a it's a religious site for them there are springs of water that come down out of this that to this day they they go there for cleansings and healing and and things like that uh you may have recognized this from graham hancock's ancient apocalypse which actually came out before the controversial paper which we'll get into that here uh, in just a second so the issue that has come up here is there is a paper that was in the what was the name of this journal again <laughs> i'm gonna forget it archaeological prospection back in october this past year 2023 and it was a team of geologists that have been working out there and basically their summation through all of the work that they've done here was that this location dates some 25,000 years ago, not just human occupation of it, but the construction of it. This photo here, yeah, it looks more like a tall hill and you're kind of looking at it. It's pyramidal in shape. Yeah. Yeah. You go to the top of it and what do you find? Well, you find all of these amazing uh, columnar blocks call it columnar jointing they're cut and laid out they're roughly all similar in length now these blocks were brought there they were trudged up this small mountain and it's still pretty good size it's it's a hike up there um over fifty thousand of them and you can plainly see the uh you know, the shapes of rooms and buildings and this sort of thing. It's its very clearly constructed, although there are those that will argue this is a natural feature. I mean, we're, we're essentially, look at that. We're looking at a doorway right there. That is not, that is not a natural feature. And then this is the, uh, the photo that I used for the artwork. I mean, over time, okay, are we looking at a floor or a ceiling that is collapsed? I don't know which one, but it's certainly uh, laid out very nicely, uh, certainly put together by human hands. So the primary geologist on this, uh, Danny Hillman Natawi Jaja, uh, he works for the National Research and Innovation Agency there in Indonesia. So it was he and his team that put together this uh, this article in archaeological prospection and i may have forgotten to put the link in the description there i will go i will go back and, and add that to the description the entire paper is there to look at read there's all kinds of illustrations charts photos it's it's a pretty massive document. I downloaded the uh, the PDF. We're gonna show some of these some of these images from that. Um, got a couple of artist interpretations though of what it may have looked like back in its heyday, back in its glory. 
So this is one uh, which is, you know, pretty uh, pretty interesting. It's a lot a lot more colorful than you know, this is what was used on uh, on Ancient Apocalypse, and essentially it's in the form of a step pyramid, the way the construction is done, and the team there actually discovered they haven't gone down into there other than like the core drilling and the uh the other technology that they've done to determine what's in the ground there are chambers that they have uh, discovered down there but i'm going to read this from the the abstract while showing you some of the different uh photos and charts and maps and illustrations and things that they've had out of the, uh, within the document itself. So this is from the abstract. That correlations between rock stratifications observed through surface exposures, trench trenching in core logs, combined with GPR, ERT layers, and seismic tomograms demonstrate the presence of multi-layer constructions spanning approximately 20 to 30 meters. Notably, a high resistive anomaly in electric re resistivity tomography aligns with a low velocity anomaly detected in seismic tomography, indicating the existence of hidden cavities or chambers within the site. Additionally, drilling operations revealed significant water loss, further supporting the presence of underground spaces Radiocarbon dating of organic soils from the structures uncovered multiple construction stages dating back thousands of years BCE with the initial phase dating to the Paleolithic era. Okay, that was a mouthful. <laughs> I was reading that straight from the abstract and that was, that was a mouthful. Essentially what it comes down to is the, the criticism, and we'll get to the criticism here in just a moment, was, well, they, you know, they drilled down, got some carbon from 25,000 years ago, and, uh, and that's where they came up with this date. No, they used a lot of different types of research tools on this. Um, you know, the, the different types of devices that they use, the, I mean, talking, you know, seismographs here. Here you're talking uh, GPR, uh, GPR, you're talking, um, of course, they have the core sample in here. You know, what's this? Yeah, this is the core sample data. So it wasn't just one. You know, they did multiple core samples. Um, yeah, they, they used so many different measuring devices for this and presented a very lengthy, very extensive paper to back all of this up. See some... Uh, other comments here. Oh, Pandora Farms is in the house. That's great. Um, yeah, look, looks like Cheats and Eats a little bit. Uh, Tom is asking, was it caused by the flood? So this would have been pre-flood when it was built. Now, what may have happened was, well, we'll get to that in a minute when we get to the criticism. And uh, no, I've not yet been there myself. I would love to go and explore this. That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, but I've not yet been there myself. So I'm going to play this clip that talks about the criticism of this research. And this is from Mike's Morning Mug back in December. Because it was still, even though this paper came out in October, started picking up some steam there in November and into December, people are still just going on and on slamming this, this research. So let me go ahead and play this clip and, uh, and we'll discuss. And yeah, the Chris, there's a Christmas tree in it because it was in December. So you had one archeologist uh, saying that, well, an archaeologist there in Indonesia saying, well, our people were living in caves like 11,000 years ago. Well, okay. Yeah, maybe they were uh, 11,000 years ago. Maybe something happened that they, you know, had to backtrack from, you know, building this pyramid 25,000 years ago 
to being in caves 11,000 years ago. A lot can happen in 14,000 years, right? Just think what's happened in our modern society in just a couple hundred. You know, you think back, you know, turn of the 20th century, right? Um, we didn't even, yeah, I think 1900, right? 124 years ago. We didn't have airplanes yet. Uh, we weren't, you know, we weren't going to the moon yet, obviously. We didn't have computers. It was a very, very different, you know, cars were just starting to come out. Very, very different culture in society at 1900 than, uh, than now. That's only 124, 25 years. Okay, think of 14,000. A lot can happen in that time. And it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, civilization will continue to rise and rise and rise and rise. It can rise and fall, rise and fall. Because different things happen. Whether you talk like famine, disease, natural disasters. Uh, you can have wars break out. Uh, in, back then, things were pretty barbaric. Uh, people would go for genocide and wipe out. Uh, your entire nation, and that includes whatever technology that you may have had. The biggest opponent of this has been Flint Dibble. Now, he was very, very outspoken against uh, Graham's uh, ancient apocalypse, and of course, uh, he's been very outspoken against this. It seems like he's the guy this time around for this. So, and this is his example, this is his analogy. If you went to the Palace of Westminster and dropped a core seven meters into the ground and pulled up a soil sample, you might date it as being 40,000 years old. Well, that does not mean the Palace of Westminster was built 40,000 years ago by ancient humans. It just means there's carbon down there that's 40,000 years old. But here's the thing. Poor, poor, poor example. We know when Westminster was built. Pretty close. We know about how long it took and all that stuff. It's, it's part of our more modern society, although it dates back uh, hundreds of years. Directly under Westminster, there are no structures down there underneath Westminster. There, there aren't structures there that were built by humans. Okay? We're saying that Gurunpadang is that, yes, these structures were built by humans. And the date goes back 25,000 years. So... At, at Westminster, there aren't structures underneath that are built by humans, okay? Where at Gurdjieff, there are. And that's another one where they're trying to debate back and forth, where they're saying, well, it wasn't really built by humans. It was, you know, some sort of natural rock formation. And you look at it. I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at it and say, yeah, that's not natural. You know, there are, there are certain structures in this world that you can see that was built. You know, and you're talking about, again, you're talking a geologist. And this was the same problem with the Sphinx. You had a geologist, Robert Schock, come out and say, this Sphinx enclosure is water erosion. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing over here. We're trying to find you know, pot shards or whatever and trying to date that stuff. I'm telling you, the enclosure of this thing from a geologist's eye, from a geologist's knowledge and so forth, is you know, more than 10,000 years old. And, of course, the archaeologists threw their hands up and were like, yeah, find us a pot shard that tells us that it's, it's that old. Uh, you know, there's no other structures around the world that are that old. Ha-ha! Until Gobekli Tepe came along. Yeah, we'll get into Gobekli Tepe, too. Uh, here's Brandon saying, yeah, typical. Anytime anyone challenges the status quo, it's like they put up an argument. But the level of vitriol when people challenge the preconceived notions is really mind-boggling. Yeah, it, it's sad. And there's some different you know, reasons for that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> And uh, old schoolers rattling their sabers. Yeah, it's, you know, and... Part of me understands it, you know, uh, a lot of times it's, it's their, it's their life's research. 
Um, a lot of people, they don't want to change. You know, they've written, I don't know, they've written 10 books. They've been teaching it one way for 40 years. At the very end, to have that upended and changed, they don't want to do that. Uh, to me, I'm just like, write another book, <laughs> you know? Um, I've, I've got 13, and I actually, in the uh, introductions to many of those, I've stated I reserve the right to change my mind because what I know now is far different than what I knew 20 years ago. And I would hope 20 years from now, I'm going to learn some new stuff. If I just stay right where I am right now. I'm not growing as a person. You know, we don't, we don't know everything about our world. We don't know everything about our universe. We are still discovering. And what's sad is you got to know that these people got into that field because because of the rush of discovery because they want to find something new and then somewhere along the way there's a transition from wanting to discover to discover something new to protecting you know what they had done earlier in their career some of it is also uh funding a, a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, people are backed by whether it's their university or different organizations or what have you to, to do their research and to go out and to uh, do a number of different things. They don't want to lose their funding. So they're protective of, of that as well, which is, which is a real shame. Um, so I mentioned Dibble there with, with this. It, ever since uh, Graham came, came out with Ancient Apocalypse, he's been hammering Graham. And of course, when this came out, because this was featured episode one of Ancient Apocalypse, dibbled hammered on that. The guy back in the day on the Sphinx was was Mark Laner. And, uh, you know, since then, we'll, we'll get to the Sphinx here in, in a moment. Um, but yeah, it, it always seems like there's there's one guy. I mean, there's several. There's several of them, but it seems like there's always one of them that, you know, grabs that spotlight of like, I'm going to be the one, um, you know, trying to, you know, blow all these theories and things away. Um, in the paranormal uh, community, it was James Randi, um, Harry Houdini back in the day. So, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, I guess move on to the, to the Sphinx here. So Tom says, seems that we only have the definitive answers if we go back in time. Yeah, if time really exists, yeah, <laughs> if time really exists. So, all right, so let's move on to the Sphinx since I mentioned that, and that that was one we can kind of see, you know, the uh, the metamorphosis of this over the years as well. So, there it is, the Great Sphinx. This is uh, my photo from a couple years ago when I was there. I also dug up this uh, 1871 photograph. There's a lot of illustrations from around that time. There's only a handful of photos, and uh, I, I like seeing the the old photos before the the restoration work. So the the thing with the Sphinx. So this was believed to be about 4,000 years old. Not really going to get into the dating of the pyramids. It's all kind of related. Uh, the thing with the pyramids that just pretty it, to me is pretty simple. All the dynastic Egyptian structures that we see have hieroglyphs on them. The pyramids do not, so it predates the dynastic era. Um, yeah, with the with the Sphinx, you know they're saying it was built around, you know, around that time as well. Um, shock came out, shock and, uh, and John Anthony West, 1993, Mysteries of the Sphinx came out. This was, it was mind blowing for me. It's one of those things that really, really got me interested in this particular field. I'd had the interest in the paranormal, the supernatural, all that stuff too. But as far as like, ancient history was the Stargates. Well, it was this mystery of the Sphinx and then Stargate the following year that just, Oh, there, there are other mysteries out here to be discovered. Well, it came down to the erosion 
uh, of, of the Sphinx. And so it's the Sphinx enclosure here that helps to date it. And what we're seeing here for the erosion is it's water erosion. You see the channeling there in the, in the rock uh, from water. Now, there is over the last however many years, there is some wind erosion that uh, has taken place off and on over the years. Uh, there are times that this has been exposed, other times it has not been exposed. But it's, it's really pretty clear that there has been water erosion that has taken place there. I mean, it's just, and anybody that's, I, you, know, you, you go to a park and you see a, you know, a waterfall and the way that the rock has been eroded there. Um, we run a bunch of water down uh, a hill and watch the way it you know breaks apart the mud. And you know? I mean, it's it, it's almost just so obvious that it's like, why was there an argument about this at all? But you know, there it is. So this has pushed the date of the Sphinx back um, to about ten thousand years ago, at least. Now, there are some that would argue it uh, to be more, to be longer in the past. And it's it's harder to, to justify that. Um, one of the things that the traditionalists uh, kept coming back to when it came to, you know, when they were arguing with, with Shock and West back then, was... Show us some, show us some pot shards. Well, that's almost just to totally nonsensical. Because if, if you have your enclosure here, right, and this is not the only aspect of, of this area. So. You have the temples that are in front of it as well. I, and I like this. This is actually from uh, Mystery of the Sphinx, where they actually have a nice uh, little clip or movie where they're showing, you know, okay, we carved the head. We're pulling the blocks out. The blocks made the temple. Uh, that's it. We call it the Valley Temple today. And they're actually showing this. If you look behind there, they're showing this before the construction of the pyramids again we can we can debate that one as well but the valley temple is another one no hieroglyphs on it there are no hieroglyphs and there's two phases of construction here and this is something that they also kind of point out there in mystery of the sphinx it's it, it's related to the the temple that's in front of but and not directly the Sphinx. But if you consider that the blocks from uh, the Sphinx enclosure were used to build a temple, they show, and we see this on the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour, there's parts that are exposed to the interior wall. The interior walls are made of limestone, which is what the Giza Plateau is made out of. And it's weathered away. There's granite uh, blocks in front of it, but when you get that side view and you're you're actually taking a peek inside the wall, you see that the uh, the limestone has been weathered away, which would only happen to external exposure for a long period of time, and then the granite, in a restorative effort, was placed over top of it. So this was an area that was extremely important to people of the age. Again, it's limestone. It's hard rock. So if, and there's been many restorations and reconstructions of this area. So saying, hey, show me a pot shard. Where, where are you going to get this pot shard from? You know, it's not, it's not like your backyard where, you know, it's going to sink down into the ground. It's hard limestone. It's not sinking into the limestone. And over, over the, I mean, it's a temple. You're going to, you're going to keep your temple clean. You got your monument back there. You're going to keep the monument area 
clean. And then when you're restoring, you're, you know, you're, you're cleaning up, you're fixing up, you're doing all that. So yeah, I'm not sure where this, this pot chart is supposed to come from. We'll see a little bit differently here with, uh, with Gobekli Tepe, um, because they did have some of that in order to date it as far back as they did. Um, so let's see a couple comments here. So would that be pre-flood? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would make it, that would make it pre-flood. Um, certainly built before that. And so one of the ideas is that when the world changed following that, um, so the Sahara Desert is really a, a relatively newer desert. Um, it's been around, I want to throw the number 8,000 years out. Um, eight, 9,000, something like that. So basically after that event happened and just climate changed around the world, you had the younger dry ass era, era, the end of the ice age, when all of those changes happened, then the Sahara Desert was, was born. Um, you know, Prior to that, uh, it was, you know, it was a, you know, very fertile area. Um, you know, it was like the African safari. You know, it wasn't just a straight desert. So once that climate changed, then that's when the sands came in to play. Again, it took a long time for that to happen. Um, but it means that the Sphinx had to have been built prior to all of that because of that water erosion. You, you become a desert because you're not getting rain anymore. Yeah. And, and Jen says, I don't know, there's a big hole with a lot of trash uh, in it on that Giza plateau. Yeah, these days, uh, unfortunately there, there are, well, we'll just, we'll just say that, uh, there, there is a bit of dirtiness around the area now, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, Tom, could it be determined if the world pole shifts could explain the water? So, um, so I, I like your thinking. I like where you're going with that. So the last pole shift that we had. Now the pole is creeping along toward the toward the northwest. But actual like last time we had a shift uh, where the poles flipped like that was forty thousand years ago, thereabouts, um, and that lasted for about four hundred years before it flipped back. Now what we see a lot of forty thousand years ago. A lot of cave art. People are hanging out in, in caves because when that pole shift happened, they estimate that the um, that our magnetic protection got to about I want to say ten percent. It's like eight or ten percent or something like that. I, I, I have the I have the numbers in my Alaska Triangle book, which actually is right back here. I could you know what? Why not? Let's look that up, Tom. We got the book right here. So here we go. Pole shift. Pole, pole flip. Page 191 to 193. And I could tell you right here. So we'll flip to that. And here we go. So uh, the last polar flip occurred about uh, 42,000 years ago. According to evolutionary biologist Alan Cooper with Blue Sky Genetics in the South Australian Museum, even though it was short, the North Pole did wander across North America right out towards New York, actually, and then back again to Oregon. He continued to describe that it, quote, then zoomed down through the Pacific really fast to Antarctica and hung out there for about 400 years, then shot back up through the Indian Ocean to the North Pole again. Um, I'll skip this part because I, I put into context about how long 400 years is. Um, 
Uh, it's hard to say what Antarctica may have experienced during its 400 years as the North Pole, since so much evidence is trapped under the ice, but it may have been quite a hotter experience. During the time of the pole shift, the Earth's protective magnetic shield would have been in flux, down to as much as 6% of its current state, causing dramatic climate change. The solar wind from the sun would have pounded the Earth with radiation and likely causing the extinction of many species. The air would have been more ionized, a fantastic conductor of electricity, creating far more electrical storms and aurora sightings all over the Earth. According to Professor Cooper, early humans around the world would have seen amazing auroras, shimmering veils and sheets across the sky. It must have seemed like the end of days. So, yeah. Six percent. So they would have gotten absolutely fried uh, going out into the sun during the day, which is why they would have hung back in the caves. And while they're in the caves, what are they going to do? They're going to draw and paint and color on the wall. Uh, yeah, in Brandon, uh, 12,400 to 9,600 BC is the time that I heard in that period for the younger dryas and the flood. Yeah, we don't know like the exact year of the flood. Um, and, and traditional archaeology tries to say there was no flood, there was no cataclysm. And it, it makes zero sense because it's like almost every culture from around the world who weren't supposed to have any connection to each other talk about the same story. <laughs> over and over and over again you find it in so many cult cultures and we're not just talking you know noah out of the bible there are you know, different characters different people that you know the story is attributed to but it's there in all of these different cultures and yeah jen handy dandy index it comes in handy that's why i have it in there uh so Betty's curiosity. Mike, do you think modern educated people just have a hard time believing the ancient man was as smart as them? Yeah, see, that's that's an interesting thing. Yeah, we are very arrogant today. You know, as if we we always believe we're like at the peak of our evolution. Nobody, nobody can top us. You know, we're smarter than and better than all of those that that came before us. But are we really? Because uh, you look at some of these structures that have lasted thousands and thousands of years. And in many cases, we don't know how they built them. But we might have guesses and we throw out some hypotheses, hypotheses but we, we truly don't. Um, you know, there's some of these things we can't even lift, like the Trilithon at Baalbek. And um, you know, even we go to Egypt and we see you know, huge blocks there on the, the Giza Plateau. And I'm not even talking about the pyramids. There are other structures there on the Giza Plateau that are just absolutely massive. We're not lifting today. We just we just can't. Uh, the way that they were able to get those, uh, we call them sarcophagi, into uh, the Serapium there at Saqqara. We're not doing it. We're just not. Um, it's insane. It's crazy. Uh, so they had... Here's where I think our modern academic and intellectual gets hung up is we use the terms, well, they had a high technology. Well, let's put it into some context. We're not saying they had high technology like computers and cell phones and things like that. They had a high technology for them in that they had advanced building and construction, construction know-how, their engineering was amazing using you know stone and and rock and and what have you that we don't have that type of engineering today it got lost to time and it's, it's another thing that kind of addressed it a little bit in that clip that i played earlier that you know quite they don't quite understand. Well, how would something get lost in time? You learn something, you build from that, you keep going forward. Well, yeah, that's the way the modern world has worked for some time now. So that's the way, you know, to learning. We've seen, you know, invention, invention, invention here for, you know, some hundreds of years. And it seems like it's progressing because that's our modern context. But things do get lost to time. Civilizations get lost to time. There are many civilizations that, you know, for... For a long, long time, we didn't believe even like ever, ever existed, like the, um, like the Hittites, 
out of the Bible. There was a long period of time up till about 120-ish, 140-ish years ago that people didn't believe they existed because we found, we at that point in time had found no evidence of the Hittites. So yeah, didn't exist. Yeah. Then we finally found them. The story of Troy. Well, it was just mythology. It was just a story until we actually found Troy, you know? So um, yeah, it, it's this weird mindset that, um, that, oh, we, we know it all. Yeah, no, let's stop being so arrogant. All right, so do want to move on here um, a, a little bit from Sphinx. Oh, the other thing that I want to throw out there about the Sphinx, just really quick, because I get asked this a lot, you know, what the Sphinx was originally carved at as, um, or at least what animal it was. So lion, but there's been this, and it's almost like you know, people want another, you know, controversial topic on top of an already controversial topic with the erosion and the dating and all that. Now let's go ahead and throw, uh, you know, the, the Sphinx being all kinds of different animals. And the one that gets thrown out there a lot is um, the idea of it you know, being a, a jackal. And um, I'll say there's a few reasons why it's not. For one, if it was a jackal, it's facing the exact opposite direction that it should be facing. It should be, if it's going to be a jackal, it should be facing to the west. And that happens to do with, if do a little research on the ancient Egyptians and their, uh, their religion, their belief systems, what they thought of with the afterlife. Well, a jackal is, that's the, the symbol that we use for, uh, for Anubis, who has everything to do with the afterlife journey, which is to the west. And we do see other constructions of jackals in Egypt and they're facing west. So for the Sphinx to be a jet that just that one right there doesn't make any sense. Um two would be the the snout um protruding out like that. Um you have to think of this on a very large rock. I mean it's gonna work on a smaller uh, uh sculpture like this but when you're talking that something that massive, uh, this the stone just isn't gonna hold up. Um, you could say, okay, they you know they could take off the ears. You gotta look at how tall those ears are too. So you would need to have had some other uh, rock sticking up out of there to to make that work too. So there's too much going on with the uh, with the face. But then also the big thing is, is the tail. So this, uh, yeah, there's the, the sweeping tail that you have of the Sphinx, which is essentially a, a lion's tail that comes swishing around uh, from the back there to the front. Well, okay, let's take a look at tails of, of these. Well, this one here, it just, it goes straight down. Um, it, and, and that's kind of what you see with the jackal interpretations is the tails are straight. That one's straight down in this one, it's straight back. Um, and this is a, I mean, this is a smaller sculpture that one goes straight back and in this one here, it, there, there's no, there's no tail at all. So the tail was, was very, very different. The Sphinx has a lion's tail to it. So I just wanted to uh, remark on that because that, that comes up time to time when I talk about the Sphinx or when we're out there in Egypt and, and what have you. So, um, all right. So let's go ahead and get on to uh, Gobekli Tepe here because this was really what helped the Sphinx. So one of the arguments against the, the Sphinx that they kept throwing out there was, well, how could it possibly be you know, 10,000 years old? Not just because of the pot shards, but because we don't have any other major constructions anywhere in the world that go back that far. And then all of a sudden, oh, Gobekli Tepe shows up. 
So this is in uh, the southeastern Antalya region of Turkey. They believe it was inhabited from 9500 uh, BC to about 8000. So, you know, we're talking about 11 and a half thousand years ago as far as the original, uh, the earliest dating of that. Go back to the means pot belly hill because that's kind of the way the hill looks like. Um, you know, and then they, it was really kind of initially discovered that something was going on there in the 60s. Nobody touched it. Klaus Schmidt, a German archaeologist, became interested in it, and then he went and started excavating in 1994. He published his dating uh, data, his carbon dating, around 2008. Uh, but it really started hitting the news as kind of more of a, uh, in a more prominent way. I would say it was probably around 2013, 2014. I remember, you know, massive headlines uh, coming out of, oh, you know, you know, we have a world uh, world site that's over 10,000 years old. And it was like huge news at that time, but the dating was done earlier and he published findings earlier than that. So that was, okay, you know, here's, here's your site. That's over 10,000 years old. That is at least as old as what we're saying the Sphinx is. Now, when you look at the dating for um, for Gobekli Tepe. So Gobekli Tepe was a location that was purposefully buried. We don't know why they buried it. Um, you know, it's some of the some of the uh, stories and what we call myth and legends and what have you about the flood. One of the things that we're always told is we've talked if we're talking Noah or some of these other figures from some of the other stories, you know, they're preparing. They are preparing to get in their boat or what have you and and save themselves from the the massive flood that's coming. So, you know, one of the theories that's out there is you know, was this a preparatory tactic for the flood so that their, you know, religious site, uh, you know, would not be harmed by those waters. It would be protected. That's possible. So the dating was based off of the fill. So again, you kind of go back to the idea that, well, that would give us a later date that it was used because, you know, you're going to keep your stuff moderately clean. Well, especially if this is such an important site, um, you know, you're, you're keeping your church, or your synagogue or what have you, um, you know, cleaned up today. And again, we're talking a surface that is, you know, like talked with uh, the Sphinx, I mean, it's limestone. You're not burying something there like that. Um, it's going to be harder for debris to kind of be left around. Now, they've only uncovered a very, very small fraction of it. Um, they, it, It's a massive location, so there may be more things that we discover as they continue to, to dig. Um, but the just going off of the fill well we might discover as we continue on that there there's a lot more there so 9500 might be too soon of a date you know maybe it's 10500 bc maybe it's 11500 bc maybe it goes further back um the the dates that they have for it right now i think are kind Let's see what you guys have down there. Um, yeah, uh, no signs of watermarks and go back. To the yeah, they completely buried it. They just, they buried the whole thing um, and, and left. And what's also crazy about uh, Gobekli Tepe is that 
the culture was considered hunter-gatherers at the time. And that's one of the things that these different parties are debating about right now. Why does, if your culture is hunter-gathering and you're moving around, um, you're following the animals and you're following where, you know, the, you know, the fruits and vegetables are growing. You're not settling down and planting crops yet. Um, you know, you're not building civilizations yet, but yet all of a sudden we have this huge, massive temple complex built by hunter-gatherers. It doesn't make sense. And also the engineering and know-how that it would take to make that, you don't just one day stand up and say, I'm going to build something massive. I mean, it does, I kind of um, put down the whole, you know, escalation of learning and you keep progressing. Well, yeah, your society, if you're maintaining a society and you're learning uh, new methods as you're, as you're going out, like, for example, um, just take the construction of this house. Well, this is done a little bit differently than we did a hundred years ago, right? Um, other new construction methods have been developed. There's things that they have learned over time on how to do better, like the uh, electricity. Um, you know, we're not doing plaster on the walls anymore. It's drywall, you know, that sort of thing. You know, we've, you know, we've learned some things, improved some methods and so forth. Um, but somebody didn't, we weren't running out in the woods here, you know, a hundred years ago. And then somebody said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to build a mansion. <laughs> you know, it didn't happen like that. Um, so there does have to be some progression at some point, whenever your civilization does actually start. And then, you know, it'll, and then it'll pr progress from there. Now you might get annihilated uh, somehow, whether that is through a cataclysm, whether it's through wars. I mean, there's a lot of genocide and things like that back in the day, famines, a lot of things that could just destroy your society and you become forgotten about. Um, but there is, you know, some progression. That's, again, what are the crazy things about, you know, the, the pyramids and, you know, the massive temples? It's like these things kind of sprung up almost out of nowhere. It's like, where's, where's the precursors to that? You don't really see it. It's all of a sudden, boom, here we go. Um, you look in, uh, you know, South America, a lot of the Incan uh, construction that the, the bigger, more fantastic constructions are at the bottom. And the newer, more modern ones aren't as sophisticated. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. How did, how did that happen? And then, Tom, yeah, like the heads in Easter Island, the bottoms of the statues are, are buried. Yeah. Uh, and what's fascinating about that, it, we didn't even know that for an extremely long time. But how did they do that? Now, this is an island that, you know, it's, it's way out there. Um, there's not really wood on the island uh, to be able to, you know, because they... One of the ideas, okay, how did they move them? They made them, they carved them. How did they move them? And uh, some people are like, well, they use wooden rollers. I'm like, take a look at the island. There's almost no trees. <laughs> Why would they sacrifice their trees for that? But it was also a much bigger island back in the day too because sea levels have, have risen. Um, also, real quick, wanted to throw out there as we move on from uh, Gobekli Tepe. Um you know, we've seen an evolution, of course, with uh, Stonehenge in the area around it. Uh, you know, Stonehenge, and we we can date parts of this back, or at least the location in use, to um, some eighty five hundred years, because totem logs were found in the area of uh, in earlier construction. So we keep finding these different rings and these different uh, pieces of construction around that area. Uh, uh, we keep progressing, we keep finding more. So we keep putting the dating of it back further and further and further. So, you know, we thought this was more around, um, you know, a few thousand years ago. And then as we discover other rings, find those logs, it puts the use of the site 
back even further. Well, just last year, this is not right at Stonehenge, but near, it's only like eight miles to the south uh, in Harnham. They have uncovered, they were putting in a, uh, a housing development. So, you know, we got to do archaeological dig because of the history of the area, make sure that, you know, we found out, you know, what was there. They're still going to build on top of this anyway, unfortunately. But um, they found artifacts that date back to about 10,000 B.C., and I kind of misspoke. I said 8,000 years ago for the totem logs. So the totem, the totem logs there at Stonehenge go back to 8,500 BC. Well, now here's a spot there just right down the road uh, from Stonehenge that goes back to 10,000 BC. So we keep going further and further and further back. Um, those of you that follow me on social media have probably noticed over the, the last few years that whenever I come across one of those articles, I'll throw that out there. Uh, as like a Mike's morning mug or what have you, like, hey, here we are, you know, discovering that history goes back even further. Um, yeah, so we keep our minds open to, you know, the story that has been traditionally passed down to us over the years is is different than what really happened. So uh, Tom with a $10 super chat enjoying the show tonight. Thank you very much, Tom. I absolutely appreciate that, my friend. Super Chat Superstar, Tom McNicholas. So, yeah, Scarlett. Yeah, yeah, no. I know, it's it's crazy that, um, you know, they discover some of these things and they build right on top of it anyway. And, and that's what usually, that's how they discover a lot of these things is, um, so there's a part of me that appreciates Hey, bring in some bulldozer. You know, we're going to uh, excavate the area put, because we're putting in a new housing development. And it's like, oh, archaeological find. We have to stop things. The construction company hates that because uh, they they lose money when, when that happens. We got to stop construction, bring in the archaeologists. They do their thing for however long it takes. And then, well, we still have a project here. <laughs> and they build right over the top of it. Uh, it, it's insane. It's insane. I've seen that uh, all over the world. Um, the controversial Talpio tomb. Yeah, they were um, basically putting in a, this is uh, right there in Jerusalem, putting in a housing development, came across the tomb. Okay, bringing the archaeologists. They do their thing. <laughs> Still put the housing complex right there on top of it. Hey, yeah, it's insane. So, um, and Brandon, okay, I, I did see this uh, about the the Sphinx. Uh, you, you do like the idea of it being Anubis, uh, watching the sunrise, protecting the east from the rising tide of evil um, that could come from the west. But see, and that's the thing is they didn't view it as evil. When when you talk the the Egyptian afterlife story, they just viewed it as another part of the journey. It just, the journey happened to be to, to the West. So yeah, that whole idea, it, that's more of the, um, <sighs> it's more of a, it stems out of um, Judeo-Christianity, a lot of the uh, medieval European influence of that, you know, things associated with with death happen to be evil. And it's, when you look back at the more uh, ancient cultures of our world, and really it was just, you know, a, another path along the journey. You just, you, you lose the flesh body, but your, your soul continues on. Or like with the ancient Egyptians, it was seven different parts of the soul. And so, um, so yeah, that was just all a path that that they were taking um but but i get where i get where you're coming from on that so all right everybody we're going to go ahead and wrap up the uh, public side oh i just i also wanted to throw up there so a lot of that the sphinx stuff um that's that's shock's book 
uh, Origins of the Sphinx. So I, I, rec I definitely highly recommend that. Um, and he does address a lot of the, uh, the controversies in there with um, the different ideas of what the, the animal was. Um, it's certainly not the focus of the book. The focus of the book is on the dating uh, of the Sphinx, but uh, but he does address that that controversy in there. So, okay, those that are part of the Connected Universe portal, those that are members, we're going to switch over to the after show. Uh, those that are here on uh, watching the live bit here on YouTube, we're going to have to say good night for now. And those listening to the podcast version of this later, again, I encourage you, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, connecteduniverseportal.com. All right, everybody. Till next time. Time really exists.